Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. I want to welcome everyone out there to episode number 21 of A Minute with Coach Riggs. I'm going to call this one Odds and Ends. I'm going to uh, take a step back from the top 25 just momentarily here and uh, talk about some other issues that are dealing with um, football right now. This is actually, uh, as I said, episode number 21, and this is going to be the last episode of the first season. I'm going to uh, beginning with um, August. We're going to start the second season of a minute with coach Riggs as we are getting ready for the 2023 football season um, high schools uh, college uh, the pros are all getting in camp right now so everybody's getting ready for the 2023 football season so we're gonna do the same thing get ready to start the second season of this podcast and uh, before going any further I really want to just stop for a minute and uh, thank some people first of all I want to thank my technical advisors who are my two sons um Michael and Will Riggs, I want to thank them for being patient with me as I tried to uh, learn some of the technology of this. And because my memory is not as great as it used to be, sometimes I learn something, then I forget it, and uh, I have to have to get a little help sometimes. But anyway, I want to thank them for uh, their help with that. I certainly want to thank all the guests that we've had on, uh, particularly uh, David Jennings has been on several times and uh, has helped me with the uh, Top 25 and uh, certainly want to thank our committee that worked with the top 25. And then, uh, as well, you know, I would like to uh, just thank all you folks that have listened out there. And I've heard several comments around. And uh, as, I, as I see people around, they say that they're listening. And so I appreciate all you folks that are listening out there. And, again, as you have things you'd like us to do on the podcast and things you'd like to hear us talk about or some event or some team or whatever, just let me know, and we'll see if we can uh, fix you up with some of that. Some of you have uh, asked some questions that you want us to deal with, and uh, soon I'll do another uh, episode where uh, we're just asking, uh, answering questions uh, from our listeners out there. Happy to uh, take care of that at any time. As we get started with this episode, I think the first thing I'd like to do is um, just talk for a minute about um, uh, the, the top 25 and uh the uh, Facebook page and things that we've been doing. So let's go first with the uh, Facebook page. I have a minute, a minute with Coach Rick's Facebook page. And we've primarily been doing two things on that. Uh, number one, I've been doing what we call Throwback Thursday. And so Throwback Thursday is just some uh, been making some posts and taking some um, video or taking some pictures or some kind of memorabilia, pictures of memorabilia or so, something, and uh, just kind of recalling some of the old times that are, are connected to T.R. Miller football. It could be, you know, be the school or a game or a team or whatever. And so been doing some of that, and I know um, uh, I will continue to do some of that. I have a lot of memorabilia stuff. I know some of you have a lot of stuff out there too, and so one of the things I'm trying to do to help record the history of football at Miller is, to take some of those things and put them on the cloud so that 
we will have pictures of them and access to them, you know, uh, and, and get them kind of organized by year so we can, you can get a hold of them and look at them and the, everything from um, clothes and jerseys and pictures and newspaper articles and uh, all kind of things. So you folks that have memorabilia out there, please let us know about that, and we'll continue to do that. And I'll continue to try to do the uh, Throwback Thursdays as well as we, we move along. The The latest one I did was a, a football program from 1989, which was my first season at Miller as the head coach. I had some really good memories about um, picture day and, and that kind of thing as I look back on that uh, on that program. But anyway, so. Uh, throw some pictures up there, and just so you might want to go back and take a look at that majorettes and the cheerleaders and the players and coaches and so forth. So, anyway, that was from 1989. The next thing that I wanted to uh, make mention of uh, with the Facebook page is just to remind you that we are putting the top 25 on there, and so as we count them down, I'm going on the, the Facebook page and trying to get pictures or video or something of each of the teams with a little information about the teams. And so as we count them down on the podcast, you know, I'm trying to, to get you some visual pictures of who we're talking about and so forth on the uh, on the Facebook page. We'll continue with that. Next thing I want to talk about, and really we'll kind of announce this, I'm really kind of excited about this, is that we officially now have a YouTube channel and our youtube channel is entitled a minute with coach riggs and uh, you can search that on youtube and it will bring up tr miller football games from the past so we're taking all of the old film that we have access to and we are loading that film on youtube uh, for our former players um, parents, children and grandchildren of the players so they can go back and uh, see some of the old film that we have. And so I want to talk about that project just a minute and what we're doing. So we're gradually beginning to load the film. So you can go on, on there and search. And the film uh, I'm putting on right now is from the 1960s and 70s. And so we're loading what we have a film from the 1960s and 70s. The oldest film that we have is from 1962. I believe it's the T.R. Miller Choctaw County game from September of 1962. Um, we have, I think, uh, we have another game from 62, the Baymanette game. And I think the Miller game, the um, excuse me, the Choctaw County game, is played at Rotary Field. And then the um, the other game against Baby Dad, I believe, was played in Baymanette. But we have film all the way back to 1962. So in those days when they film games, and we filmed, by the way, we filmed games all the way up to um, the uh, through the 1980s. By 1990, everybody had gone to videotape and, and video. Of course, we'd had video for several years. Everybody finally went to the video. The videotape had gotten good enough that we could we could do that. And so um, film became a thing of the past. But when you filmed games, you filmed on 16-millimeter film, 
And when you film those games, you did it um, by half. In other words, they would put film in the camera, and there was enough film on the roll to run through the first half of the game. Occasionally, they'd have a little bit of film left or something, and so they might, you know, video the team going off the field or the cheerleaders going across the field to meet the other cheerleaders or something. And then they would, at halftime, they would load the other canister of film, and they would film the second half on that. So when you had the film processed, you got two canisters. You got a canister of the first half and a canister of the second half. And also, you know, film was, um, in those days, you know, occasionally, you know, um, film would break. Um, occasionally it would freeze up in a projector and you'd burn a hole in it or something. So you had to kind of splice it and do some work with it. So some of the film was better than, than other films. But in some of the things that we have, we have, uh, say, the first half of a game and we don't have the second half. We have the second half, we don't have the first half. Now, once we went to videotape fully in 1990, and uh, that was right after I got here as the head coach, uh, now all the game, we have full games, okay, because they weren't done in halves. They were all done on one videotape. So that was uh, certainly an improvement in in the way that you uh, that you operated that. And we filmed in those days, we filmed with what we called Super VHS, which was a higher quality uh, film. And then we would make um, VHS copies from that. You needed, in order to run a Super VHS tape, you needed a special VCR, Super VCR, uh, to be able to do that. That's kind of the way we operate. We operate that way all through the 90s. And then somewhere around the 2000s, we started... Um, uh, still video, and we were videoing on smaller tapes. And we started, instead of running videotapes off, we went to DVDs. Uh, DVDs were cheaper. You could uh, buy uh, a DVD duplicator. It was kind of like a, a, a computer tower, you know. You could, you might make eight copies at one time, so we could make a make an original copy and then duplicate eight of them. And so that was a, a really a better way to do it. You, you essentially, uh, you can make a, a DVD and burn a DVD of the game on computer and then take it and duplicate it, make as many copies as you wanted to make. So that was helpful. It's certainly helpful for, um, you know, the players in those days. We could uh, make DVD copies of uh, our opponent next week and give them to them to go home and study at home on their DVD players and computers. So, you know that was that was helpful, and then later on, uh, when Huddle came into the mix about 2010, uh, now we would again video the game, and once you videoed the game, then we would load it onto Huddle, and uh, it would be uh, now on the internet, and so you could actually go home and watch it. You know, log into Huddle and watch it on your computer. So, you know, that was a a big thing, but. We, we kept the games and the original videos and stuff like that and with some of the copies and those kind of things. So a few years ago, we started trying to, as I knew my time at Miller was getting short, started trying to gather up some of the film uh, to, to be able to save it, to take what we had there at the school. And I also started searching around and talking to folks about uh, film and that kind of thing. And I was able to round up a little bit of the, some of the old film and, 
some people had some video and here and there that I was able to get a hold of. Just to give you an example. I know Greer Horton had a number of old films, and Greer uh, gave those to me, and we were able to get them digitized. And um, also, um, Walter Lewis gave me several uh, he had videos of uh, some of the games that uh, he played in in high school in 78 and 79. And, you know, he, he gave me uh, those videotapes, and I was able to take those videos and get them digitized and then give him the videos back. So you know, one of the things that um, I, I would like to, to be able to do is gather as much of the video that exists as possible. And I probably have 95% of it now, but there's some video out there that I'm sure that um, of some games that I may not have, uh, some of the you, you former guys, former players out there, whether you have a videotape or maybe you got film canisters, you know, for all I know from the 70s or 80s or something, if you have that stuff, you know, I would love to take that and um, be able to digitize it and get it loaded on our YouTube channel. And my real goal here is um, the first film we have in 1962, what I'd really like to be able to do is from 1962 on, uh, have some video of every season. That's going to be hard to do, but I'm going to take a shot at it, and I'm going to have to search for some of that 5 to 7 or 8% or whatever uh, video that actually exists that I don't have. Uh, I know we still have uh, some video at the, at the field house. Um, we certainly have um, uh, back in the cabinet, stuff like that, and, you know, it's still there, Coach Hubbard and – and, and, and all they've done a good job of taking care of all of that and, and, and keeping it. I'm going to go back, and after I load everything we have, I'm going to take a look at what we don't have and go and see if I can. Uh, Coach, get, let me in the field house there and let me go back and start searching and seeing if we can find copies of that somewhere at the field house, and there's certainly uh, that's a possibility. And then we have other people, again, that have video or whatever, uh, if you'll kind of let me know what you have. If we don't have a copy of it, you know, I would love to be able to get it and get it digitized and get it uh, loaded on YouTube, and then I can I can get it back to you in whatever form that you that you gave it to me. So one other thing about the um, the, the film and all, uh, you always when we did sixteen millimeter film we, film we always filmed in black and white, with a few exceptions. Um, if you played some special games, occasionally you would film in color. And the reason for that was filming in black and white was considerably cheaper than color film and color processing. So it was it was a strange occurrence to have games uh, filmed in color. But occasionally uh, the schools would do that. And so I'll give you an example of the uh, in 1969 when we uh, won the state championship. I know they filmed the uh, semifinal game against Abbeville and filmed it in, in color. And I think we filmed the state championship game in color as well. Now, there's no sound to any of that, but at least you had color. I know um, one of the films we have, we have the first half, I believe, of the 1970 T.R. Miller W.S. Neal game. And that game was played in Bruton here at Municipal Stadium. I was a freshman. I got to dress out for the game. I was pretty excited about that. Coach Wood had no intention to put me in the game. If if we needed me to win that game, we were going to be in bad shape. But uh, what's so neat about it is um, 
you know, we're dressed in our red jerseys and red helmets and white pants. And Neil is dressed in their blue uniforms. And so, you know, the state now makes you, you know, the, the visitors wear white and that kind of thing. In those days, uh, you could you could wear whatever you wanted to. Most all the visitors wore white, but occasionally, you know, like for a big game like this, um, Neil, they would, when they came over, they wore their blue. Usually we wore white when we went over to play over there, but they would wear their blue. So it, it looks really good. They got the old gold helmets, you know, and so forth. And um, Calvin Culliver and Tony Crook and those guys are playing for Neil. And, um, you know, uh, it's it's a great half, first half of the film. And, and uh, they show us, you know, warming up and, and uh, doing uh, calisthenics, you know, there to warm up. So it's a pretty good little film. It's one of the things you're going to be able to see when you go on the YouTube channel. Now, once we started working in videotape, it's a different matter. Because now the videotape not only was always in color, but the videotape also had sound. And so to to some of the games, they may have had sound on the original tape. Sometimes when we made copies, um, there was no sound on the copies because the coaches don't really care about sound. So some of that may have sound on it. Some of it may not have sound on it. And in later years down there, we used to take the, um, the radio broadcast and pipe the radio broadcast in on the film. And so some of that may have the radio broadcast on there as well. So you might get a special treat with that sometimes, you know, just depending on exactly what, um, what you have, you know, when it was and what's going on there. So anyway, that is the uh, YouTube channel. And uh, like I said, we, we're working towards getting everything we can. And by the way, in addition to games, uh, there's some other things uh, that I have, some other video that I have. I recently on uh, Throwback Thursday uh, had uh, videos, probably eight or nine minutes of video from Zeke's 70th birthday party in 2013. So, you know, we'll load that on there and, and anything else that we have of video of historical significance, uh, we will load on YouTube. And uh, for our, again, our former students, players, parents, and, and everyone who would like to uh, take a look back at T.R. Miller football. So that's the YouTube channel. And uh, it's, it's a great place to store film now. Uh, above everything else we do, uh, YouTube's going to be around until maybe they will make something one day better than YouTube, but it's going to be around, and so we're going to try to load all of that film that we can possibly load on that. And before I go on, remind you that we will continue with the top 25. Let me let me give you an idea of where we are in the top 25 right now, so let me run through what we have been through so far. Uh, the number 25 T.R. Miller football team of all time. By the way, this was done by a committee. And uh, David Jennings and I helped them, but it was done by a committee. And uh, the number 25 T.R. Miller football team of all time is the 1951 Tigers, uh, coached by Hal White. They went 9-1, and one, lost to Bayman in the first game, and then won nine in a row. Jerry Kelly played on that team. Uh, I believe he was a sophomore, I think, that year. And Charles Ray McClellan was an outstanding linebacker and quarterback. Billy Long was a great uh, defensive player in particular, was a great lineman on that football team. That's a 1951 team. Uh, the number 24 T.R. Miller team of all times, the 1973 Tigers. 
All right, this was kind of a small football team, uh, but a, a very good one, great defense. Uh, Frank Cotton was the head coach. It was Frank's first team. I played on this team. Alan Baker and I would start running backs on the team. Doug Norris were in Mike Long, alternated quarterback. Uh, Jack Neal and Charlie Fowles were outstanding linebackers. Jack Riles, a great tight end, defensive end. So this was a, a good football team. The 1973 team went 10-2. and two. I lost to Andalusia in the regular season and then lost in the playoffs to John Carroll in the semifinals. Uh, the number 23 team of all time is the 2022 T.R. Miller team. Last year's Miller team who played in 4A and uh, had an outstanding year. They won 10 games and lost two, lost early in the season to UMS, and then they uh, lost in the playoffs to a really, really good Hanley team. Uh, moving up to 4A from 3A. And uh, this was a, a good football team that was really good at stopping the run. thought uh, they did a great job. Uh, uh, Coach Hover and Coach uh, Andy Lambert, the coach of defense, just did a really good job last year of, of playing tough, tough defense, particularly against the run. And uh, this was a good blocking team and a team that uh, won, won some big games, won a big defeat of Neal, uh, Great victory over Jackson early in the year. So the number 23 team of all time is the 2022 T.R. Miller Tigers. The number 22 team of all time is the 1977 T.R. Miller Tigers. They went 91. They were coached by Frank Cotton. Coach, uh, coach's team uh, did not make the playoffs. Uh, lost to uh, Atmore and uh, uh, the area raise. Atmore on those days, only the area champion went to the playoffs. So Miller finished second in the uh, area that year uh, did not make the playoffs so outstanding football team um, great great players on this team from uh, Walter Lewis at quarterback he was a sophomore to Reggie Brown a great running back and Reggie also played nose guard Dow Altman a great linebacker uh, there were some outstanding football players uh, Randall Mallard was running back on this football team this was was a great team 91 the 1977 team uh, they are the number 22 team, the number 21 team of all time. So the 1940 T.R. Miller Tigers, coached by Ben McLeod. They went 7-1-1, one, and one, and they only gave up 14 points. Think about that for a minute. Um, actually uh, tied, I think, Greenville 0-0, zero to zero, and then uh, lost to, I believe, that more 14-7. to seven. That was the 14 points. I gave them all up in one. <laughs> in one game. So they had eight shutouts throughout the year. Uh, that's pretty pretty good football. So obviously there were some good football players on that team. Jose Rogers, uh, W.J. Monk were the runners on that team. They were both uh, really, really good football players. And uh, so anyway, the 1940 team went 7-1-1. One, one. They're the number 21 team of all time. The number 20 team of all time is the 1964 T.R. Miller Tigers, they went 8-1-1, one, one, uh, coached by Darrell Fitz in his first season, and, of course, led by Mike Sasser, and, uh, uh, who had a, just a tremendous year. Chuck Cunningham was an all-state end that uh, signed with Ole Miss, and uh, this was a, a really good football team. Sammy Franklin was an all-state linebacker and fullback. 
So uh, they went eight, one, and one. And uh, again, as we had said many times, they're the dividing line. Uh, since that time, we've had three losing seasons. So the 64 team is an important team. The number 19 team of all times, the 2001 Tiramont Tigers, that went 12 and two. They were a state semifinalist. Um, outstanding team led by uh, quarterback Pat Byrne, who's the punter and the place kicker, uh, running back Ravon Howard. This was a good blocking football team. They could play defense. Uh, uh, just some, some outstanding players on this 2001 uh, football team. Um, Dominic Johnson, Javon Howard were linebackers. Uh, Ty Samuel was an outstanding offensive lineman. Uh, Dusty Wilson was a center. Brandon Wilcox was a, a, a good blocker and, and, and defensive lineman. This uh, Darrell Wesley was a good football player on this team, fullback and nose guard. The 2001 T.R. Miller Tigers are the number 19 team of all time. The number 18 team of all time is the 1986 Miller Tigers. Uh, they went 12-2. and two. They were a state finalist. They lost the first game to Andalusia, lost in the state championship game uh, to Litchfield, uh, but won the 12 games in between and in pretty dominating fashion. Uh, this was a, a, a team that... Uh, was centered around uh, running back Joseph Williams, who one of the greatest running backs in the history of the school. Uh, Keith Meganson was the quarterback. Keith was truly an outstanding uh, a player. And the 86 team uh, was, was just good. Uh, Doug Bell was a good player on this team. Um, our, uh, our, our friend David Jennings was on this football team and played free safety. Uh, Jeffrey Hall was a great tight end, and Jeffrey Hall was something else. Thad Betts was a really good player on this team, an offensive lineman. They were, the 1986 team was, was outstanding in a lot of ways. Uh, Mark Ward was a really good defensive end. There were some other good linemen on this team. Roger McClellan had a great year at um, linebacker. Robert McClellan was a, a good tackle. Chris Chisholm was a really good player. So this was, was an outstanding team, the 1986 Tigers. End up number 18 of all time with 12 and 2 record. The number 17 team of all time is the 1996 Miller Tigers. They went 13 and 2. State finalist. The seniors of the 96 football team won 41 games in three years. That is the record. That's going to be hard to hard to beat. Uh, this is the uh, Miller team that lost to Neal in the last game, snapping a, a long winning streak. Uh, regular season winning streak, then turned around, made it through the playoffs, played Neil again in the semifinals in East Brute, and beat them. And uh, went on to the state championship game. We lost uh, to Fayette County in the very first Super 6 championship. But uh, the 96 team was a, a, a really, really tough running uh, football team. There are a lot of good football players on this team from linebackers Antonio Johnson and uh, Sylvester Mitchell, um, running backs, um, Adrian Hoodley and Ashley Kaiser. Jeff Wilson was the quarterback. Um, Michael Bell and Wayne Lodge were really good blockers on this on this team. There were a lot of good football players on the 1996 uh, T.R. Miller Tiger team that went 13-2. and two. And the 96 <clears throat> team is the number 17 team of all time, the number 16 team of all time is the 1984 12-3 and 4A state champions, T.R. Miller Tigers. The 84 team uh, 
is famous for having been two and three, a two and three record after five games, and didn't lose again, and uh, made the playoffs, and started winning, and what has to be the greatest playoff run in the history of the school, really, you know, between them and the O2 team, just unbelievable playoff run. Won the last game against Cherokee County in the bitter cold in Center, Alabama. And won the game in the fourth quarter. And the Tigers drove 85 yards and culminated with a pass from quarterback Kevin Ladnier to James Weaver for the touchdown. To give the Tigers the 2018 victory and the 1984 state champions. So the 84 state champions are the number 16 team of all time. The number 15 team of all time is the 2002 T.R. Miller Tigers. They went 11-3 and had a great playoff run themselves. And, uh, again, this was a team that looked like it was going nowhere, lost three regular season games, went 6-3 and three in the regular season, and got hot in the playoffs. Uh, two of the biggest playoff victories ever. A 35 nothing win over a 91-dayville team, and then the second week they upset the favorite to win the state championship, the Tarrant Wildcats in Bruton, 35 to nothing. Made it to the state championship game, beat Colbert County, 38-6, wow, to become the 3A state champions in 2002. What a great football team led by uh, linebacker uh, Quentin Galloway, quarterback Brad Lanham, um, tight end Trent Davidson. We have some outstanding blockers on this team from Kendrick Deer to uh, Dominique Johnson, who uh, played tight end and linebacker. He was a great player. Michael Jones was a outstanding outside linebacker on this football team. So this was a team that uh, seemed to come out of nowhere but won the uh, 3A crown in 2002 with a record of 11-3. They were the number 15 team of all time. And uh, finally, the number 14 team of all time is the 2004 T.R. Miller Tigers. They went 12-1, and one, one of 10 T.R. Miller teams to go undefeated in the regular season. Ended up losing in the semifinals to Aniana. But this was a really, really good football team that played tough defense, could really throw the ball, a great job of play action passing. Jordan Colley was the quarterback, um, just had an outstanding season. Um, a bunch of a uh, good senior linemen, Tyler Chapman and James Hildreth, and uh, just just some some guys who really really played hard did a did a great job. Uh, Tyler Sheehan had a great year at uh, linebacker, and um, uh, this was a team that lost their best athlete Antonio Gomez uh, at midseason to a knee injury, but just kept winning. And so the 2014 ended up 12-1 there, the number 14 team of all time. And so the next broadcast that we will do on the top 25, uh, we will deal with teams number 13 and number 12, and we'll see where they go. And so you guys are listening, and your team hadn't been called yet, and you know you had a great season there's a possibility that you're going to be there some, and soon we'll be to where we started or hope to start. We're going to be at the top ten, and we'll be talking about the top ten TRMR football teams of all time. Okay, so last week 
Uh, I attended the Alabama Football Coaches Association board meeting in Montgomery. And I um, was one of the original founders of the Football Coaches Association. I still uh, do some things with them. I uh, run their website and their Twitter account. I also um, work with the Lifetime Achievement Awards, which is an award we give to uh, retired coaches for their uh, great uh, lifetime work in football coaching in the state of Alabama, and so I usually attend the board meeting. So let me give you some idea of, of, of what uh, some of the talk is of things that are going on uh, in football, both high school and college, and some of the, some of the issues that are happening and, and going on. So first of all, um, it's my understanding that, um, as most of you know, uh, Nick Saban and some of the other college coaches uh, have gone to Washington to uh, lobby Congress to make some laws for NIL for colleges. And so there's been several bills that have been proposed that they're looking at. I think that in the next year, you're going to see Congress not only pass a national or a federal NIL law for, for college football, and of course, and they need that. Because there's no rules right now, so they need some kind of rules. You can't let the states do it because the states are going to do whatever they think is best for recruiting. So you're going to have some a national NIL law. And so the coaches and everyone agrees that that's going to be the best thing for college football. In addition to the NIL rule, there's a good chance that Congress is actually going to pass a law dealing with the transfer portal. And what the coaches are asking is that they pass a law that basically will require athletes once they enter college to stay there for three years before they can transfer. So this would cut out some of the one and done where you go in one year and boom you're out you're on somewhere else. It's going to cut that out. It'll actually take it back almost to what it was originally two or three years ago. Uh, two or three years ago, uh, if you were a graduate trans graduate student, you could transfer. So if you had already graduated, we graduated in three years or four years, and you wanted to transfer, you could transfer to another college and play at another college. So this is going to go back and make that very similar to that, that, that you know now that they can leave after three years to go to the NFL. So now after three years, if you don't go to the NFL and you want to leave and go somewhere else, you can leave and go somewhere else. If you were redshirted, you possibly play two more years somewhere else if that's what you want to do. And it will actually solidify a lot of what's going on. And it will cut out the great numbers of people that we're having there in the transfer portal all the time who go to school, don't like it, boom, they're out of there. And they're bouncing from one school to another. So it's going to solidify some of that. So I think you're going to see that this is going to, pass here in the next year and that's what's kind of going on with the college uh, nil stuff now there's also a problem with nil for high school so right now there are approximately 20 states that have nil laws that allow their high school athletes to profit off their name image and likeness Alabama is not one of them. Now, there are some around us that have done that. Louisiana is one of those. Georgia is fixing to go to that. 
the problem with the high school NIL is if you don't have it and you have one of the top prospects in the country, that prospect can leave before, say, his senior year, go to another state where they have NIL and profit, go ahead and start making money off the NIL while still in high school. Nobody really wants NIL for high school, except we're at the point you're almost going to be forced into it because of the fact that if you have one of the top prospects in the country in your school, you don't want to lose him because he's going to New Orleans so he can draw NIL money. You want him playing at your school. Alabama, Auburn, they don't want these kids leaving to go to Georgia and Louisiana, Missouri, or wherever it is, they can't have that. They want them to stay in the state of Alabama. It's my understanding that in the next year, and this will probably happen next spring, one or two things are going to occur. Either the legislature here in Alabama is going to make an NIL law for high school athletes, or the Alabama High School Athletic Association is going to make an NIL bylaw to allow NIL for high school students. It could be that they collaborate and work together on either a uh, Alabama High School Athletic Association rule or a state law. As a general rule, the High School Athletic Association would probably like to make and make it one of their bylaws and let them do it. And uh, it'll be something that the um, legislature could be good with and they'll end up having to work together with that. It was up to the Alabama High School Athletic Association. I don't think we would have that. We would stay with the amateur rule that we have because I believe that they think, and, and rightly so, that it's the best thing for everyone. But it's not going to make it. It's just They're just not going to be able to stay with that uh, because of all the pressure, the NIL pressure, people leaving, that kind of thing. So I think you're going to see an NIL law passed in the state of Alabama one way or another here in the uh, in the future so that's kind of a little bit what was, what the talk was up there and what was going on with uh, the nil the transfer portal and the uh the stuff going on with um with high school stuff and part of that is that um it's my understanding there's a really good basketball prospect from birmingham who has already left and transferred to a school in missouri because missouri has nil and he's going to be able to get some money. There's also talk that one of the top prospects in the state, who I think will be a junior this year, uh, is still going to play at his school this year. But if there's no NIL opportunity for him in the state of Alabama before his senior year, he would leave to go to a state where there's NIL opportunity. So, again, we can't have that. So they're going to, they're going to get that fixed and uh, so we can keep our guys here in the state of Alabama uh, where they belong. Earlier this summer, um, we lost uh, Donnie Fountain. Donnie passed away. And uh, Donnie Fountain uh, is one of the greatest football players to ever play at WSNL. In fact, you, you, if you were naming the top five all-time football players at Neil, you can't have a list uh, without having Donnie Fountain on the list. Uh, Donnie was a linebacker and fullback at Neil in the early 60s and a truly good and truly tough 
football player. He played on some of the best uh, W.S. Neal teams ever. The In 1964, at the Miller-Neal game, uh, Neal went into the game with a record of 8-1. and one. Truly great football team. Miller went into the game with a record of eight wins and one tie. Miller had tied Andalusia at midseason. Neal had lost the second game of the season um, to, to Foley, I believe, and only by like one point. Neal that year was so good on defense, um, and they were playing some really good people in those days. And, and Neal was a bigger school than Miller in those days. But uh, they had like six shutouts that year. And they were just dominating people. And uh, they were, they were the average that year, they beat people by an average of like 30 points a game that year. And this was before, obviously, that we had the, the beat scoring that we have today. Uh, Donnie Fountain was the leader of that team. There were some other good players on that team. Bernie Wall was a, was a quarterback, you know, and there were a number of, of, of good players on that team. But Donnie Fountain was the center of it. And when... Uh, the, as the Miller-Neal game approached um, that season, um, Mike Sasser was a great Miller runner. Donnie Fountain was every bit as popular in East Bruton. And uh, Donnie had a great game that night uh, against Miller. It was a game where it rained in the second half. Of course, Mike Sasser got injured. But um, Neal would win the game 7 to nothing, end up 9-1 that season. And so uh, Donnie had, had a great game. Donnie was a a really good linebacker, just a bruising fullback. Just, you know, he ran well and uh, didn't mind contact. And uh, he could really, really rip you up inside. And uh, the Neil offense kind of centered around him. It wasn't unusual for him to carry the ball 20 times in a game. So Donnie, of course, like Mike, signed with the University of Alabama. And they ended up having knee problems. But um, this was a truly great football player. So... I got to know Donnie a little bit more when um, both of his sons uh, played for us at Miller. Uh, James, who played with us in 94, 95, and 96. And um, Will, who played 96, 97, 98 teams. And uh, so, again, I got to got to know Donnie a little bit better as, as those guys played. In 1998, uh, we had an unusual situation in that I've got Will on our team. And uh, his uncle, Jim, is the coach at Neal. And uh, I always remember the the Miller-Neal game that year. Neal got off to a good start, and we came back on him. And in the second half, uh, we threw Garrett Akers to a touchdown pass to uh, Will Fountain. Will caught the ball on the Neal sideline, you know, somewhere around the middle of the bench there. And he caught it, and he starts running down the sideline. And, his uncle Jim is standing on the sideline and watched him. I mean, he, he could have been ten feet from him, and he watched him go down the sideline with um, with that touchdown. That's got to be a be mixed bag of feelings for Jim at the time. I know he was glad to see Will do well, but he didn't want him to do it against the against the Eagles. But um, anyway, uh, gonna miss Donnie Fountain, one of the truly great football players of all time at W.S. Neal High School. And I want to close with a couple of uh, thoughts on uh, coaching hires in the state of Alabama. I saw recently where uh, Jeremy Pruitt uh, is going to join his father at, at 
<clears throat> excuse me, at Plainview High School. Plainview High School is uh, in Rainsville. Rainsville is on uh, Sand Mountain. And uh, if you come out of Rainsville, head down the mountain eastward, you go down into Fort Payne. And then right across uh, from Fort Payne is Lookout Mountain. And so uh, the little town of Mentone is up on Lookout Mountain. And we have a cabin up there on Lookout Mountain at Mentone. And so Vicky and I spent a lot of time in that area, in the Mentone area. And so uh, occasionally we go across and we go across uh, down into Fort Payne. And sometimes we go up Sand Mountain. And sometimes we're over there in, uh, in Rainsville. We've eaten over there a couple of times and so forth. Uh, I've known the Jeremy Pruitt for, for a while. I've known uh, his, uh, his dad, Dale, for a number of years. Uh, Dale was a coach at Rainsville there and at Plainview High School for a number of years. He really started back in the 80s and... Uh, coached um, throughout the 80s and the 90s. He had some great football teams in the 90s. I know they played in the uh, state championship game a couple of times. Um, I think Jeremy was playing in those times back in the early 90s when they had some of those really good teams. Dale um, uh, coached there uh, until somewhere around 2000, 2001 or something. He took the job down at Fort Payne, went down there and did that for about three years at Fort Payne. He then left and went to Tennessee and uh, coached at Marion County, Tennessee for a couple of years. So it's kind of what you do as coaches. You know, you, you go down there. He took Fort Payne job to make some more money. And then he retired and went on to uh, draw his retirement check and went on to Tennessee and coached up there. After uh, a little time up there uh, in Tennessee, he eventually decided that he was going to come back. And he came back coached at Plainview again. Um, he actually coached nine more years at Plainview High School. After that, he decided that he was going to take the job at Albertville, and he coached about four years at Albertville. And at the time of this tenure at Albertville, as it was coming to an end, Jeremy was hired as a head coach at Tennessee. And so I think that, that Dale didn't coach for a couple of years, and then after that, he went to uh, Tennessee and we actually went back to the same high school that he had coached at earlier, Marion County, coached there for a couple of years. And then in 2020, he decided to come back to Rangeville again, and he took the head coaching job at Plainview High School once again for the third time. He, <clears throat> excuse me, 2020 and 21, he was in Tennessee and in 2022, he took the job at Plainview High School, moved back to Rainsville. And so now, that's his third time as head coach there. And now it was announced that uh, Jeremy's going to come back and uh, teach PE and come back and help him at Plainview. And so I know his dad's excited about that, and the people of Rainsville are excited about that. Uh, like I said, I've known Dale for a number of years. Used to see him and talk to him at, at clinics and so forth. And once we you know, had a little house uh, again in Mentone back in around 2000, I used to see him and talk to him about the area and what was going on. 
Same thing with uh, Jeremy. When Jeremy was uh, coaching at Alabama and recruiting at Alabama, he would come by and, uh, and come by to the school. We'd talk. We'd talk about the area in Mentone, what was going on up there. And he, he always kept up with everything that was happening in his hometown. He could tell me what was happening with all those kind of things. So I always uh, enjoyed um, seeing him. After I retired in 2016, I was helping uh, – or had been helping up at, I think I'd just taken the job at uh, Houston Academy. But we had been, I'd been helping up there at Lee where Michael was coaching. And uh, Michael and I and uh, Lee Gibson, who was um, the coach at Leeds at the time, we all went to uh, their, their football clinic up there at Tennessee that first year. Todd Watson, who was, I guess, the director of football operations or something up there for Jeremy, but Todd had been the uh, head coach at Foley, and Michael had worked for him his first two or three years in coaching. And so we had gone up there, really, to go to the clinic and to see them, and uh, we enjoyed that time up there and got to tour through the entire Tennessee facilities and stuff, so we really enjoyed that. So uh, we've known the Pruitts for a long time. Uh, I'm excited for them. I, I know that the people, again, the people at Reigns were excited about having Dale and uh, uh, Jeremy Pruitt uh, come back to to their town and uh, and work football there. So I know the 2023 season is going to be exciting for them. And then finally, yes, he's back. Rush Propes is back. He's back coaching in the state of Alabama again. And... Um, it just seems fitting that Rush would eventually come back to Alabama. And I've known Rush Probst uh, for a long time. Uh, most of you know him as the coach at Hoover that was on the uh, reality show Two-A-Days. Um, when he later went to Georgia, did another reality show. That one was called Titletown USA when he was at Valdosta, I believe. And if you haven't seen that one, um, you can go on, uh, I believe it's on Netflix. You can go on there and just um, you know, search Titletown USA and it'll pop up and you can watch it. And uh, it's actually pretty good. It's, it's really pretty interesting. And there's still, probably still some DVD floating around of uh, two a days from uh, his days at Hoover, which is pretty interesting to watch as well. Now that's, that thing's 20 something years old now, but it's still uh, pretty interesting to, uh, to watch. So, and there's rumors that, again, he may do another reality show here at Pell City. Who knows? But he took the job at, at Pell City. Pell City has uh, kind of suffered the last few years. Uh, they haven't had good football really in a while. They've had some good coaches. Um, uh, Steve Mass coached there last year. I don't think Steve won a game uh, after all those years at St. Paul's. Steve took that job for one year and ended up um, uh, taking the job at Theodore. He's back down there. Um, Keith Etheridge had that job for a couple of years after he left Leeds. And, of course, uh, Keith left Pell City to come to T.R. Miller in 2018. He coached here for a year before heading on to Auburn. So they've had some good coaches, and they have struggled to have winning seasons. So it's going to be interesting to see if Rush Probst can pull that thing off. Can he actually make them into a winner? I'll say this about Rush. He is a winner. He's won everywhere uh, he's been. Um, since he took the Alma Bryant job. And so let me give you a little, just a little background on, on Rush. Rush is originally from East Alabama. He's from the Asheville area over there. And, um, 
I think he actually played. I think he played for Bill Clark, the head coach at UAB that resigned. I think he played for Bill's dad over there, and they were all from that area, so they all knew each other. I got to know Rush in the mid-'90s, and actually, um, when we played for the state championship in 1994, Rush was the head coach at Ufall at the time. But he knew the coach at Cleburne County is who we played in a championship game. And the night we played here in Bruton in a championship game, uh, Rush Probst was on the side of the Cleburne County sideline that night. In fact, I talked to him before the game and after the game. You know, he was uh, you know, very complimentary of us that night, but we won the game pretty big. Well, I guess it would have had to be. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I can remember him uh, coming through Bruton at some point in time for some reason when he was at Ufall and he, Wanted to stop and talk about defense, and I called Allen in. Uh, we we sat down there in the stadium in the locker room and talked to him and talked defense for a little bit, for a little while. Uh, he lost his job at Ufall and ended up in before the '97 season. He didn't have a job. And I remember talking to him at the um, Alabama High School Athletic Association summer clinic and all. And he told me, I'm fixing to go interview for a job down at Alba. He says, I'm, hopefully I'll get the job. And uh, the, the coach at Alba had just quit in July. And uh, nobody really wanted that job because uh, they were in the process of combining Alba and Grand Bay into Alma Bryant. <clears throat> and everybody kind of knew they were going to combine the schools. They're building a new school. They're going to hire a new coach next year to, to coach. This is going to be a 6A program. They're going to hire a new coach. So nobody, it was a one-year gig. Nobody really wanted the job, so they figured they were going to have to maybe hire one of the assistants or something. The principal at the time at Alba was Ed Lathan. Ed had uh, been a coach in uh, Mobile and at BC Rain and all uh, back when I first started coaching. Um, he had become an administrator, and he was the principal at Alba High School, and so he hired Rush Probst to coach the 1997 Alba football team. He did a great job. They won. And when they combined the schools, they decided to hire him. And Ed became the principal of the combined school. And he decided to go ahead and hire Rush Probst. And so in the spring of 1998, the schools were fixing to be combined. Uh, I was looking for a game, and Rush Probst called me on the phone wanting to play. And so I thought to myself, you know, it'll probably take them a couple of years to get that thing together down there. We didn't have a game. We needed one. And so I finally said, okay, we'll play. And I said, okay, you know, we'll go down there and play them. They may beat us, but we'll play them tough. And it was going to be like the ninth game of the year or something. So it'll It'll help get us ready for the playoffs and kneel and on. So, you know, hey, okay. Again, if they're having trouble getting their act together, you know, we might even beat them. Who knows? What I didn't know was that, uh, and, and this is strictly rumor, that that spring down there in the uh, bayou, Rush had spring practice with those guys like the entire month of April and May. Now, that may be a little exaggeration, but it's pretty common knowledge that he he might have violated the uh, practice rules down there uh, because who's coming down there to check on you and about you, right? So I know that when the season started, I saw him on film that year early, and 
they looked like a really, really polished football team um, for, for a team that supposedly had only been together five or six weeks. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, we go, when, when we got ready to play them, again, it was the eighth or ninth game, when we got ready to play them, they played Murphy the week before. And Murphy had scored seven points, and they scored on a trick play, a double pass. And that was the only touchdown been scored on Alma Bryant the entire year. We we had to line up and play them. We were homecoming for them. And we went down there and played. And we got beat 48-14, to 14, but we did score twice. And I just remember leaving there that night thinking, okay, I kind of, you know, he kind of befuzzled me here a little bit. He got the best of me and talked me into playing. But, you know, I know that we're not going to play anybody else better the rest of the year. So um, I was okay with who it was. And then the next year they came to Bruton and uh, they beat us again. But they beat us 16-6. to And, uh, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a great football game. And they finally uh, just kind of lined up and ran over us and, the fourth quarter down there we just didn't have quite enough to do but our kids played great that night so after the 98 season rushing them got beaten the playoffs at alma bryant but after the 98 season he um was able to get the job at hoover and the one thing that people probably don't realize is that rush probes changed high school football in the state of alabama he was really the first guy to embrace the what we call the air raid attack today it's still out there uh, that Mike Leach and Hal Mummy made famous, where basically you're going to line up and throw the ball majority, you know, more times than you run it. He did a great job with that. He also was one of the first guys to go out there and take advantage of the rules in the summer and go out and actually practice his guys in shorts. Now, before that, we thought you couldn't really practice football in shorts because they were in the shotgun and throwing the ball a lot. They can work a lot of their offense out there in shorts and helmets. He was the first guy to do that, really do that. And he has changed, he changed football in Alabama because of that. Another way that he helped change football in Alabama, after he uh, left uh, Hoover and ended up going to Georgia and taking a job over in Georgia, great success over there. And uh, I think it was at Colquitt County at the time. We invited him to uh, come to the Alabama Football Coaches Association convention and speak. And so he did and did a good job and so forth. And after the thing was over that night, uh, he and I and a number of other coaches, and there was probably four or five other coaches, uh, we went across the street to get something to eat that night. And uh, we were sitting there talking, and he started talking about in Georgia they had what they call zero week, which meant that the week before the regular season started, you could play a preseason game. Well, we could do that in Alabama, but he said they gave teams the option if they wanted to play a regular season game, they could play a regular season game in that date, and they could have an open date down the season. He said a lot of guys are, are choosing to play a regular season game in that date, and then they're taking off maybe the last week of the season, regular season to get ready for the playoffs. You know, and I, saw, I thought, you know, that's, that's a pretty good idea. You know, that's something that I think a lot of schools would be interested in. would be good for players. would give them an opportunity to you know, take some time off during the season, have an open date if they want to. And so uh, I was on the Alabama High School Athletic Association Central Board at the time. And of course, was in the Football Coaching Association as well. And I kind of lobbied both of those uh, organizations for the zero-week concept. 
and uh, we adopted it. And so uh, Roche Probst is really responsible for that, you know, uh, that concept. We probably would have gone to it eventually anyway, but, you know, he, him talking about that and, and selling that to me uh, allowed us to be able to do that in the state of Alabama. So Rush has had uh, a lot of impact on a lot of people in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of it very positive. He has uh, a lot of notoriety for some of the negative sometimes. Certainly he's, he's done some things that uh, make, you, make you wonder sometimes. Don't doubt that he's not going to be able to have success at Pell City where others have not had great success. Uh, he'll certainly stir things up. He certainly knows people, and he certainly knows football. And uh, if he can avoid the pitfalls that have eventually got him at places like Hoover and Valdosta and so forth, if he can avoid some of those things and, and handle that job, he may very well uh, come back and end up with a truly successful football team at Pell City. Don't put it past him. But one thing for sure, it's going to be real interesting to watch him and watch what's going on with Pell City this year, and not only this year, but hopefully in the in the years to come. Well, this has been episode 21. Again, if you've got questions that uh, you would like to answer, if you'll holler at me, uh, let me know. We'll, we're going to do a question and answer session here uh, soon, and um, very soon we'll be back with the T.R. Miller Top 25 of all time. Thank you for listening. This has been a minute with Coach Riggs.